Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Because our church calendar tends to follow the school calendar in its rhythm, every year in the month of August, which feels like the beginning of a new year of ministry, um, we revisit our vision statement as a church in order to reorient ourselves once again around it. We have said all along, uh, when we launched this vision Um, coming up on 10 years ago, uh, that we do not want the glory of Christ and the good of the bluegrass to merely be a catchy statement that's on our letterhead and website and whatnot, but that we want it to continually inform and even form all that we do as a congregation. So it's important to return to it uh, so that it remains a, a, a central part of our community's imagination, that it's ever before us. Um, so we're doing it again this year. This week, the glory of Christ. Next week, the good of the bluegrass. And this year, I thought of the Great Commission, a very familiar and beloved passage within evangelical culture. But as I will argue, a passage I think often misunderstood within evangelical culture. Um, What I want to demonstrate for us the next two weeks is how the structure of the Great Commission is essentially our vision. We exist for the glory of Christ, that's verse 18, and the good of the bluegrass, that's verses 19 and 20. The glory of Christ and the good of the bluegrass is simply a particularized um, appropriation of what is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. So today we're going to consider again that we exist for the glory of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that in verse 18. And what Jesus has for us in this verse are two things, a declaration and then a demand. Let's start with his declaration. Let me read again verse 18. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now let me define authority for us, at least authority the way Jesus uses authority. A couple uh, Sundays ago, we, uh, I preached a sermon on church authority. That's different than when Jesus invokes authority. When Jesus does it, maybe a better word that gets at the meaning would be ownership. Of course, Jesus is in charge, but not in the sense that he is the manager or boss of something that someone else owns. When he declares his authority, he is declaring his ownership. And notice he says all authority, meaning he owns everything. 
In fact, he says heaven and earth, both the invisible spiritual realm and the visible physical realm. Jesus is quite literally claiming that everything belongs to me. That is his declaration, but there is something interesting about the wording here that I think will help us appreciate just how significant uh, this is. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Didn't he already have it? Hasn't Jesus eternally owned all things? This is a strange statement, but it's not an isolated one. Matthew 11, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. John 3, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. John 17, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given me authority over all. So repeatedly... Jesus in his ministry speaks of the Father giving him authority over all things. But again, hasn't Jesus always owned all things? Isn't that foundation to the Trinity, foundational to the Trinity? Well, let's wade out into the theological waters here to appreciate this. The second person of the Trinity, God, the Son is eternal, forever existing, no beginning, no end, co-equal with the Father and the Spirit, creator of all things, sustainer of all things, sovereign of all things, God eternal. So it is right to say that the Son of God has eternal ownership over all things. However, the holy mystery of the faith we confess is that the eternal Son of God became flesh, became being the operative word here. The second person of the Trinity never became, never came into being, but he did become human. Born of woman, real real flesh, real blood, a real historical person, as human as you are human. That is not his eternal nature, that is his incarnate nature. And so the Son of God is eternal, while Jesus of Nazareth was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And it is this person, this real person, God-man, who was given ownership over heaven and earth. And this is what is being emphasized when this man, Jesus, repeatedly says, authority has been given to me. So just pause and take that in for a moment because it really is astounding what we believe. And it's this, a man owns heaven and earth. A first century, Middle Eastern, real, historical person owns everything. And it is that mysterious nuance that led us to nuance our vision statement the way we did. It is, of course, not wrong to say that we exist for the glory of God. Of course we do. But we specify Christ because the Bible specifies Christ. God has ownership over all things, and God has entrusted that ownership to the incarnate Son of God, known in his human nature as the historical person, Jesus Christ. The great mystery of existence is that all existence is all about one person, who is the authority and glory of heaven and earth. So this is his declaration, an audacious declaration, no doubt, but a declaration vindicated when God raised Jesus from the dead. But what are the implications of this claim? That is where I want to spend most of our time this morning. His declaration is that he owns everything. 
but his declaration brings with it a demand. So let's turn our attention to that demand. Now to ask what Jesus is demanding here seems to be an unanswerable question because there is no imperative here. It's just a statement. Next week, we will look at the explicit imperative of the passage, go and make disciples. But even before we get to that explicit demand, there is for us an implicit demand here, and it's going to call us to recommit ourselves again to be a community that exists for the glory of Christ. The the demand of his declaration is found in the dilemma of his declaration. And here's the dilemma. Does it look like Jesus has all authority? Does it look like Jesus owns this world? The answer, if we are honest, is no. When you watch the news, when you scroll through your social media feed, the last conclusion you would make is Jesus reigns. It would seem that the opposite is true. Evil reigns, and Jesus is nowhere to be found. Does Jesus own Afghanistan, Myanmar, North Korea? Heck, does Jesus own America? When you look, like, look at our nation, does it look like a nation under the reign of Jesus Christ? Call me cynical if you'd like, but it sure doesn't look like to me that Jesus owns heaven and earth. So, here's the dilemma. Which is it? His declaration in Matthew 28 or the very real circumstances of this profoundly broken sinful world? Well, the answer is that Jesus does own all things, but it's tough to see. I'll illustrate it by the miserable weather of our week this week. Very uncharacteristic of August. If you look outside right now, you would say the sun is shining But that's not what you would have said when I was preparing the sermon on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. These were cloudy, rainy, nasty days. You would never say the sun's shining. And yet, our sun was shining just as much on those days as it is on this bright day. That star is blazing at 27 million degrees every single day. It's not that the sun wasn't shining during this rainy week we had. It's that the clouds were blocking the sun. This is a good way to understand the effects, the state of a fallen creation. Jesus rules and reigns supreme over all things as the sun reigns supreme over the earth. But the fall of man is like a cloud over his ownership, blocking out his reign, casting a a dark, evil shadow over all of creation. But don't be fooled by the shadow. It may seem like the sun isn't shining on a cloudy day, but even that day, our planet lives wholly dependent upon the sun. Were the sun to actually stop shining, the world as we know it would cease to exist. And so it is for Jesus. It may not look like he reigns over all things, but even still, all of creation's existence is dependent upon its owner, Jesus. If he were not to reign, heaven and earth would cease to exist. Never mistake his clouded ownership with the absence of his ownership. And yet, again, we must admit, his reign is clouded nonetheless. 
which brings us to the demand of this verse. Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It does not look like all authority belongs to him. So what, disciples of Jesus, are you going to do about it? The call that we see here is that we, the ambassadors of his reign, are to bring the reign of Christ to bear upon this creation that rightfully belongs to him. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Again, think about the sun illustration. But he also says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Make the connection. We are the envoy of his ownership here on earth, of his light on earth. And so his demand for us is to reclaim what is his. And that is what ultimately brings him glory. We say we exist for the glory of Christ. What does that even mean at the end of the day? Well, we have to understand the connection between the glory of Christ and the authority of Christ. The authority of Christ is a simple fact vindicated by his resurrection. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. The glory of Christ shines when that fact breaks through the darkness. Jesus is glorified when his reign is realized. When his authority, hidden by the fall, becomes visible for all to see. So, if we say that we exist for the glory of Christ, then what we are truly saying is that we exist to establish the authority of Christ because the light of his glory emanates from the reign of his authority. Now, next week, we are going to apply that concept to the world around us. That's where he ultimately takes this, right? He says, I own heaven and earth. I own the nations. Therefore, go and make disciples of the nations. Just another way of saying, bring my reign to the nations. Disperse the shadows of the fall throughout the world by making disciples who bring my authority into the world. But before we get to the call of next week, I want us to personalize things this week. If you join with us in our vision to exist for the glory of Christ, then you are therefore committing yourself to a lifetime of yielding to the authority of Christ. Before we talk, about the social horizon of our vision, we need to discuss the individual horizon, what it means for me, what it means for you. So here's my simple application question for all of us this morning. Very simple. Who owns you? Who has authority over your life? Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That has global implications But it starts with personal implications. It starts with you. Jesus owns you. Jesus owns me. Whether it looks like he owns us or not, Jesus owns us. Do you know what Christian conversion is? Giving back to Jesus what rightfully belongs to him. Of course it saves you. Because it is a decision to relent and bow to his authority rather than um, the, the insane attempt to contend against his authority. 
which is a contest you cannot win. So yes, of course, it saves you. And I would say if you're not a follower of Jesus, allow me to extend you a very unconventional invitation that is less based upon an invitation to salvation. Maybe let me state it differently for you in a way you've never heard. Instead of raging against the authority of Jesus in a dispute you cannot win, give to Jesus what rightfully belongs to him, your life. Surrender to the authority of Jesus. Perhaps a preacher has invited you before to make a decision for Christ. I am inviting you to bow in submission to Christ. Now what you will find is something perhaps unexpected. In submission, you will at last be free. I think if you have the courage to be honest, things don't go well with you in charge of you. And our verse is telling you why that is the case. If it is true that Jesus is your rightful owner, you will only flourish under his ownership. Now, to those of us who have surrendered to Jesus, I still want to pose the same question this morning and press in on it. Who owns you? Your answer is Jesus. I understand that. But I fear your life is like mine, which is a duplicitous skirmish of authority between you and your Lord. And what I want to say to us this week is that before there is any talk of reaching the nations for Jesus, of subduing culture for Christ, of big vision impacting the bluegrass for Jesus, it starts with me. When Jesus says all authority belongs to him, we, we, must first, we must not first ask, does it look like that in the world? We must ask, does it look like that in my life? So by way of example, it'll help you to let you in. Let me show you what my owner, Jesus, has been doing in my life. Um, going into sabbatical, I did a bit, bit of a survey to identify some areas where I was not fully surrendered to the authority of my master. One was my health. I don't know about you, but uh, the year of quarantine did not yield a picture of human flourishing in the Cunningham home. Uh, Stopped exercising, started eating whatever I wanted, and what became obvious was that my appetites, not Jesus, were running my life. And so one of the things I did on my sabbatical was resubdue my body once again to the reign of Jesus. All right, let me give you one area where I failed. Obviously, I wanted to use my sabbatical for uh, more time with the family, and I did that, except not all my family. I got more quality time with the kids than ever before, but there was a point where Abby had to gently, humbly confront me and say, listen, we're getting such good time together as a family. I love it. Thank you so much. It's wonderful, but what about me? What about us? And she was exactly right. You see, Jesus owns my marriage. My marriage belongs to Jesus. And my owner tells me that I am to love my wife as he loves his church. That wasn't happening. And so when I looked at my marriage, it did not necessarily look like Jesus owned it. And I have some work to do in submitting my marriage to his reign. But I think you get the picture of how I'm trying to frame this here. I'm trying 
to reframe obedience to Jesus as an act of surrender to his ownership. So let me ask you again, who is in charge of you? Who is in charge of your schedule, you or Jesus? Who is in charge of your money, you or Jesus? Who is in charge of your sexuality, you or Jesus? Who is in charge of your tongue, you or Jesus? Who is in charge of your activity on the internet and social media, you or Jesus? Who's in charge of your imaginations? Who's in charge of your appetites? Who's in charge of your private life when no one is watching? Who's in charge of your upcoming school year? Who's in charge of your marriage, your parenting, your vocation? Who has authority over you? You or Jesus? Now the answer to those questions has already been answered by our verse. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. All happens to include you. So the question of ownership has already been answered. The answer is Jesus. But my question for us is, does it look like Jesus is in charge of you? More specifically, where does it look like Jesus is not in charge? As we recommit ourselves to the glory of Christ, let it yield. This is what I've been praying for. Let it yield first a wave of fresh repentance within our community. Now is the time, brothers and sisters. If you've been drifting, hardening, it's okay. It's okay. All is well. He will hold you fast. His grace is wider than your furthest wanderings. But consider this sermon his merciful rebuke. Apologize to your owner. Repent and relent once again to the reign of Jesus over your life. And what you will find is that things are actually really good with Jesus in charge. His authority is so much better than your authority. His yoke is easy. Now make no mistake, it's a yoke. He is fastening a harness around us and he is in charge. And yet, strangely, his yoke is easy. It's a burden to follow Jesus. And yet, strangely, his burden is light. And he has proven this for all to see. What's interesting about our passage is that it comes right on the heels of the one who, to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given, that one laying down his authority. Surrendering his authority to the cross. Why would he do such a thing? to reclaim his obstinate children who had rebelled against his reign. It was the only way, and so he did it. Clearly, brothers and sisters, a master who lays down his life for his servants can be trusted. If you doubt the goodness of his authority, if you wonder whether it is safe to fully surrender, if you fear relenting control, If you think that you're going to be missing out, you doubt that his ways are good and satisfying and pleasing, you need only to look to the cross. That fateful noonday moment when the sun should be shining brightest and yet a darkness, a shadow came across all the earth as the authority of heaven and earth was extinguished by death. Look 
at your master on display as your suffering servant and know that is what you are surrendering to when you surrender to Jesus. Friends, we exist for the glory of Jesus Christ. That vision begins with you. Who owns you? Jesus owns you. Give to him what belongs to him. Let me pray. Resubdue your people, Lord. Prone to wonder, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God that we really do love. Would you, by your mercy on display at this table, would you, by your kindness, lead us to repentance? And may we leave here recommitted to our owner. Jesus, we praise you that the one we call Lord washed his disciples' feet and then died for his following. What an owner we have, and we praise you for it. And now, through this act, this meal, show us again how good you are. In your name we pray, amen.